Queer Relationships, an IM Clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Welcome to Queer Relation Tips. In today's episode, we welcome Mitch Harrison, who competed in the Titan Games, becoming the first openly trans athlete to be featured in a network television athletic competition. As a member of the queer community myself, Mitch's journey is inspiring. From his closeted life as a nationally recognized basketball star to coming out and living out, Mitch didn't leave an ounce of his soul in the closet. He sits in front of his computer in a cozy home in Alaska as we met via Zoom. His warm smile and joyful face was a delight as he shared his story, one full of both awe-inspiring courage and love with a stamina I don't get to hear of very often. Mitch is a true representation of unconditional love, even to those who have chastised and abandoned him. If you're like me, his story will leave you wanting to be a better human, I promise. Let's take a listen. Well, thank you for being, thank you for just being willing to do this. This is awesome. I'm honored to to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been really fun to kind of um, look at some old YouTube videos and just kind of get to know you. Yeah, you were a pretty kind of... Um, you are, I guess I would say, a pretty stellar <laughs> basketball player. Well, thank you. You went on um, quite yeah, a journey that, there. Yeah. <laughs> basketball definitely used to be pretty much my entire life. So it took me many, many places. And uh, it's still something that I hold dear, even though I, I really can't play anymore. I have pretty significant osteoarthritis from basketball injuries. Mm. And um it's been it's been about five six years since i've even played recreationally i'll uh, i have a couple times gone on empty hoops and shot around but even still basketball will always remain a, a very large part of who i am so very much so <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> like to live up to that i can imagine yeah you were yeah. at one time there was a, a news looked like a news show like a local news TV segment or something I found and they were saying that you mm -hmm. were like the best football player coming out of Utah or excuse me basketball player coming out of Utah and I could imagine yeah. I mean that yeah it was it was really fun and I look back and uh, sometimes I even give myself my, my younger self a pat on the back for handling all the the stress of the recruiting that I underwent because none of nobody that I knew my family and then um people in the basketball world in Utah really didn't know how uh, that level of recruiting and, and what all goes into it. And so we were all kind of learning just as it went, what it's like to be a highly recruited athlete and, and to receive the accolades that I did. Um, yeah, I was named a McDonald's All-American. And at this point, um, I think that remains to this day being the only, I, I'm not sure if, I, I think there may have been one um, male uh, named a McDonald's All-American uh, many, many years ago. Um, so at this point, I think I'm the only female. I could be wrong. That's I'd have to fact check that. But um, so that's still a title I think I hold to this day. And it's it will always be an honor. That doesn't certainly would love to see more athletes out of Utah to get more recognition and to receive similar accolades. But uh, of course, it's it's fun to look back on it and hold, you know, hold those awards and to still be 
revered as such when it comes to basketball because you know obviously I invested a lot of myself into it and wanted to be great so mm-hmm. <laughs> always will always love the game yeah well it, it definitely seems like you are great I mean even <laughs> kind of in your recent television debut if you will um <laughs> that I was watching some of the videos and you got quite some muscles there <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's one of those things where at, at least for me I would say most most athletes uh, follow suit, but especially for me, remaining active, staying in good shape, just uh, prioritizing my health is very, very important to me. I mean, it's something that really has turned into a passion of mine, even beyond basketball. So that it really is um, the field I'm actually exploring. I, I received my master's in exercise science and I'm really trying to uh, get back into training and nutrition and all that. And so it's, it's one thing that even being reached out for the show, it's like, well, it's great that I still work out and I'm in good shape. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't yeah. necessarily have to start from scratch. For sure. Because <laughs> that would be all these years hard. of not playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a big runner, but I feel like if they called me, I would definitely be starting from scratch. <laughs> it would take me a couple of years if I could even do that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. I have I have many questions if you're comfortable, okay. but I think my first yeah. one is just kind of what are you up to now? Um, what is life so? Look that's like a great question. Yeah, um, I definitely still work in security. That has been a focal point in my life, just because it was something that came along pretty much just to help pay the bills. Because I was one of those kind of athletes where my life centered around basketball so much that when it was over with really I had no choice but to to hang it up because of my injuries um, I didn't know what to do I, I had never had a job I'd never worked I had never really been on my own and taken care of myself mm-hmm. um, and so security was just something that came about and at the end of the day it actually has opened up a lot of opportunities for me so even though it was never planned, I, I've just kept my foot in the security field because it has done so much for me. And yeah, I, I've never minded it. I've actually enjoyed everyone I've worked with and uh, some of the opportunities that presented itself to help other people has is, is been great too. Um, security was actually a big role in coming out to Alaska and making Alaska uh, become home for us. So okay. certainly have to be grateful for that. Uh, at the same time, I, I had gotten, I had finally gone back to school and got my master's in exercise science because uh, like fitness and nutrition are really important to me. I'm very passionate about that. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it first. I had been a personal trainer um, in Colorado, mm-hmm. in Denver, and uh, that's that was my first taste of it, uh, was do, being a personal trainer there. And I loved it, but I I didn't really like the atmosphere of working for like a big chain gym. I, I wanted to do something a little bit more focused. Um, I had thought about potentially going into like strength and conditioning um, for like a university, like for athletic programs at universities. Because mm-hmm. um, I was always really close knit with my trainers when I was in college, like at Stanford and also at Utah. Um, I just loved picking their brain. I loved, um, just kind of watching what they do, uh, asking how they developed programs, um, just thought maybe that lifestyle would be something I would 
uh, I would like to explore when it came to career outside of playing basketball. So I kind of thought about that and went back to school and then realized even still that maybe that's not what I want to do. I think maybe I just want to do something that's mine and build my own. I, you know, I, obviously you can relate wanting to start something that's yours. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm actually at right now is uh, working on opening up a small like training studio out here in Alaska where it's a small space and it will uh, allow people to come in and like, like a gym, but not a full size operating gym where people can come and go as they please. It's something that's a little bit more personal and uh, allows me to, you know, when I get into personal training, it's just kind of that really focused space, if you, if you will, it's kind of hard to explain, but I'm just utilizing um, a small space that I was able to find out here that I think will be really fitting to uh, the community out here, what people are needing and wanting and will allow me to get back into this field that I'm very passionate about with health, fitness, nutrition, all that. And uh, my wife's also a chef and we kind of, um, we actually kind of go hand in hand with what we like to do with each other. So she's working on also opening up her own business. And even though we have our own separate businesses, we're right next door to each other and hoping to kind of, uh, you know, (laughs) like, I don't know, hand off to each other with people (laughs) with working out and then nutrition stuff, food, healthy cooking, things like that. So um, that's what we're working towards. Obviously everything happening this year has made that a little bit harder than anticipated, but things are still looking up. There's, there's still a light at the end of the tunnel and we're both looking forward to it. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. The way that you're talking and um, you just seem like so passionate, like so comfortable. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm sure you, you can relate as well when it is something you're passionate about and you've invested so much of yourself into learning and continuing to learn. Um, Obviously talking about it, you can just go all the day long. And I always give forewarning to people when they, they come to me and want to ask about nutrition or getting healthier, losing weight. I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to ask me, <laughs> you're going to open up some floodgates. So beware because I'll talk all day long. I'll answer all your questions. That's awesome. <laughs> so yes, but I love it. I, you know, I love it. So anytime someone asks me, I'm, I'm ready to, to jump at the opportunity. For sure. <laughs> I am too. My neighbors know yeah. not to tell me about what they're going through because they'll end up leaving my apartment crying. <laughs> they always say that you made me cry again. And it'll be like two, three in the morning <laughs> exactly. and <laughs> tired. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, yep, that's yeah. how it happens. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I know the feeling. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's kind of rewind. Like, what steps did you take to get here? I know that's a very big question. I'm leaving that very vague, but. <laughs> I'll try and answer okay. that as precisely <laughs> as possible. Um, but I grew up just outside of Salt Lake City and grew up in a very orthodox, conservative LDS family uh, that was a very tight knit family. Uh, I My father was pretty absent early on, and so it was mostly my mom and my siblings. And I guess, again, we were just a very tight knit group. And that's obviously very important in in Mormon culture is that family unit. And so um, in that that regard, though, growing up, like I had a great upbringing, my, you know, we were very close, we were uh, very supportive of each other. My siblings are much older than I am. I'm kind of a caboose kid, kind of the accident kid. So um, 
I, I feel like I was raised by all of them, like my mom and my siblings. And so I got a lot of that, a lot of influence from them, a lot of my maturity from them. I, I've been told pretty much all my life that I, I am so mature for my age, et cetera, which is great. And, but at the same time, um, I was very, very nurtured and uh, protected and uh, a lot of my world or understanding of the world was very limited because it was so based in this Utah dynamic. And I actually give a lot of credit to basketball for expanding my horizons a lot because if I, if I really wasn't as talented as I was and had, hadn't gone as far as I had, I don't think I would have seen as much as the world as I ended up seeing because it was really through basketball that I did a lot of traveling and was invited to a lot of All-American camps and uh, college camps and a lot of things that actually took me out of Utah. And I got to realize that there's a whole, you know, there's a really big world out there with a lot of different cultures and people. And um, so, you know, I'm very appreciative of that. And, you know, it, that's kind of just how things ended up moving along as I got into high school where uh, a lot of expectation on me to, to be great because it was obvious that I could be. And I was so in love with basketball, that's all I cared about. <laughs> um, but at the same time, the expectation to be this role model within my church was was very heavy on my shoulders as well. Um, I recall, in, uh, I think it was at about the same time when I was named a McDonald's All-American that I was also featured in, I think a worldwide LDS magazine publication, something like that. Uh, that spoke of an experience I had at the McDonald's All-American banquet with a dress, like a strapless dress, and I wanted it to be more modest. So I asked them to modify it. And so it became like this, oh, look at this great role model example within our church, let alone who's a great athlete, who's going to go to Stanford. You know, it was just kind of uh, expectation upon expectation that was building. And at that point, it wasn't really a concern other than, you know, because a kid doesn't really, you know, they're just like, well, that's a lot of expectation, but I don't really know anything else. Mm -hmm. And so you're just kind of, you just kind of roll with it. And it, you know, things, but at the same time, the whole feeling, uh, the, the gender dysphoria, you know, that occurred very, like, I, I recall memories as early as three years old when mm -hmm. I felt those differences and the yeah, the emotional conflict I mean it happened early on but it was uh it's kind of what I spoke to a little bit in the Titan Games episode um that maybe people don't fully understand but was an immediate I need to suppress this and what I mean by that is you know I I could tell from you know even three four years old that I can't speak of this this is wrong mm -hmm. like you just, it was just an identification of this is wrong. This is unacceptable. So don't talk about it. Don't expand on it. You know, it's just bad. And so I carried that as I, as I grew up and obviously, you know, hitting, you know, puberty and becoming an adolescent, it certainly intensified, but again, so did the, the repression of it. Like I, I have to hold this in even stronger. So it was kind of just forces on each side that continued to build. And it, it definitely started to create more turmoil and conflict once I hit high school because being attracted to females and knowing that I had this, this masculinity, this masculine energy that wanted to come out but never could. 
So that was simultaneously building up as I was at the, you know, I, I was receiving all these accolades and becoming this, this face, especially in Utah, where I, I was expected to be a very specific kind of role model. So um, once I hit college, it was, it was conflicting. It was like, how do I do this? Especially like, how do I deal with all this? Especially now being on my own for the first time and going from Utah, which is, you know, if you know anything about Utah, you know, the Utah bubble is really its own space, its own atmosphere. It's just, it's hard to really describe it unless you've been there. To go from that to Stanford, which is a very much more liberal, open-minded, diverse community, which, you know, is great. I, I think everyone should experience that kind of diversity at least once, <laughs> um, but it was quite a culture shock for me and hard to navigate, but um, you know, I was I was trying. I was just I was kind of just trying to grow up really fast because I didn't feel like, even though I had a sense of maturity about me, I, my emotional I feel like my emotional intelligence was not up to par by any means. So it college was difficult. It was very very difficult um, emotionally, and then I'm hit with severe injuries. I tore my ACL my sophomore year, my, for the first time, I mean, I really, really blew my knee out. I significantly injured my knee and I really could never come back from it. So, you know, I went from being the star player to being more of a role player. And a lot of that was due to injury, but you know, how do you go from being identified as the star player and everyone just thinks you're great and amazing to, well, you know, you play some, but not a lot. And you're always hurt and you're always going through something. You never really, make your way back into that rotation in college and then it's like without that emotional uh, strength like that that foundation to to see yourself beyond an athlete right that was that was difficult in itself so college was kind of that space of everything compiling <laughs> the emotional turmoil of of the expectations the turmoil of the injuries the turmoil of uh, feeling like I wasn't adequate anymore because I wasn't as great of a basketball player as I wanted to be, let alone was expected to be. Um, so that was a really difficult time. And then it kind of continued through once I graduated college, I had a, a period of time before I went and played professionally overseas. Um, and a lot of a lot of the conflict with my family happened during that time where, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a harsh word. I think it's true, but it's a harsh word where I was being disowned and I was being disowned actually more than once. Like it was this, this toxic cycle that kept happening and um, going overseas was great. I think it was a, a tremendous experience. I learned a lot. It was great to be on my own and just kind of jump into the deep end and literally just pack a suitcase and, and move across the water and um, but still a lot of emotional turmoil. And I suffered another ACL injury, uh, which when I returned from playing, it was like, I just, uh, there's nothing I can do. I have to hang it up because to, to try and keep playing as a professional and coming back from injury, unless you're like one of the best of the best and you've really established yourself, it's so hard to, to get picked up after you've been injured. So it was, it was kind of just what I was forced to do was hang it up. And so then it was navigating who am I without basketball? What do I do with my life? And at that point, when I uh, finished playing overseas, um, things were so uh, toxic with my family at that point. That's literally when I, I had my backpack and a suitcase 
And my ex-girlfriend at the time, she, this is why I moved to Colorado, because she's from Colorado, was living in Denver at the time with her family. And I was like, I'm just going to go to Colorado. I don't want to go back to Utah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so literally with a suitcase and a backpack from what I had taken with me overseas, I just found a, found a place in Denver and, and moved to Colorado and kind of that, that's kind of where all these new avenues started to open up and started to explore the gender transition. Cause it was like, I finally can. Sure. And, and to start actually seeing like the perspective of having to retire from basketball, because obviously initially it was so devastating. I didn't know how to handle it, but I finally started to come around and see that, oh, wow, me now getting to explore transitioning, I would never have been here unless it was like something made me retire. Because if I just wanted to play basketball, of course you can't transition. So, um, and, and from there on out, things just slowly but surely continue to unfold. and. That's when I, I met my now wife and she was, I mean, she, even, even from first meeting me, she knew that Mitch needed to, to be realized. She, mm -hmm. she just knew it. And so that's why I was like, okay, I'm going to keep you around. <laughs> You're a keeper. And, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. So she's been there from day one, from every counseling session to every doctor's appointment, mm -hmm. every surgery. And you know, we've just kind of found all these new opportunities unfolding for us individually and then together, which has just led us to come to Alaska and never, neither one of us would in a million years ever thought we'd end up in Alaska, <laughs> but here we are and we love it here. It's beautiful. The, the, the dynamic and atmosphere out here really fits us um, again, individually, and as well as just together as a couple and continue to find lots of great opportunities opening up and uh, Titan games is one of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, really a lot of that, a lot of those dark times have really come full circle, like, and mm -hmm. flipped that 180 to where things are really, really dark to now things are really, really bright and, mm -hmm. and awesome. So hopefully that's a, a, a decent enough summary through the whole timeline. <laughs> Love it. Absolutely. <laughs> you did that so concisely too. It was great. <laughs> I, I try. I'm working on it because a lot of times I get going and I sure. don't shut up. So. <laughs> I'm practicing. Uh, yes. You and me are so alike. <laughs> As I'm listening to you and watching you, you just seem like you're so at home. Like in your marriage, in your profession, in your body, you just seem so peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. It's taken a long time to get there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But yes, that's very true. Mm -hmm. I would, I would attest to that mm -hmm. very much at peace. And I don't know. I, yeah, that's really, I mean, that's a really the best way to put it just mm -hmm. at peace. Very yeah. much so. Very much so. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, you use the word disowned and I, I can imagine, you know, being the child who is kind of getting what seems like worldwide attention, kind of being the representative of this international church in many ways. What was it like to come out? I mean, the, the courage you must have had. Well, interestingly enough, um, coming out as trans, I, I didn't really make, I didn't make an announcement to my family, actually. Um, at the time when I made the decision, I, I was not, I was already at that point, not on speaking terms with them. Um, they had 
they had stopped speaking to me and it had it had done that cycle more than once and so um when it kind of <laughs> got back to that place again mm-hmm. um and i was m- my wife and i were dating at that time that's it's just kind of when i thought to myself that it's i this is it's now it's now that i i do this mm. and um I didn't want it to be this kind of announcement with them because I knew one, I didn't think I could emotionally handle it anymore. And I knew there, you know, a lot of people, it's unfortunate. um, And it's hard to explain to people because they'll tell me, oh, just give it time. They'll come around or they'll hope so much that they'll come around for me. And I'm like, you know, that's, I appreciate that. It's very sweet, but it's not one of those situations. I mean, this has been going on since my high school years. I mean, I'm, I'm 32 now. And, you know, so since about 15, 16 years old, I've been dealing with that cycle with them. And so this isn't one of those things like, no, you know, it's, it's very sweet of you, but they're, they're just not. And I had to get to a point where I like had to accept that mm-hmm. um, rather than just uh, sacrificing myself to basically force some type of relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, you know, certainly I'm super grateful that I got to a point where I realized it's not worth it. The the toxicity and the giving away of yourself to confine to their boundaries and their, you know, their rules and what they want wasn't worth it. And, you know, and I'm also really grateful because I'm in a, I'm in a place now where, you know, I, I it's kind of hard to explain, but like, obviously this experience has opened me up to the idea of what unconditional love is. And I, I truly believe now that if I ever wanted to receive it from them, I have to give it. So I have to be accepting towards them, even though we don't speak that, you know, they, they, they believe what they believe, they live how they live. And I have to respect that because we all, I think we all deserve that same kind of respect. I want them to respect me as a trans man um, and, and for living my life the way I, I choose, I have to be that I have to, I have to give that to them in order to receive it. So, um, you know, they may never know that they may never understand that they may never want to walk through that door and try to explore that kind of relationship with me, but my door is always open. It's just, you know, I, I I'm just grateful to be in that place. Cause that's a big part that plays into the peace that I have found. It, it, that's why I'm like, it, it's unfortunate and people really, you know, it's, it's very touching when, when people are very, um, you know, they're, they're disappointed and they're, they're sad for me. Um, but I wish they knew that I'm okay. Uh, you know, it, it, it still breaks my heart. Like, of course, I still, I still harbor a lot of pain from it. It'll always be painful. I miss my family. I miss my family tremendously every single day. Um, but I'm okay. Like I, I really am okay with it now. And it's just, it's just at a point where I leave my door open. And if the opportunity comes about, then I'll be in a good place to receive it because if I held on to the bitterness and the pain and the, the anger or whatever it may be, that negative emotion, if they tried, if they finally tried to take a step forward and, and have a relationship with me and accept me, but I was only putting out that negative energy, then it's, it's you know, it's not going to help anything. So that's where we sit now, but it's always kind of been that dynamic. So I never made an announcement to them. They actually found out second hand that I had decided to transition and obviously even in 
the little bit of confrontation that occurred once they did find out was, you know, was not good, wasn't, was not received well, but it was nothing that I didn't anticipate. The good thing though, that came out of it and that I was so blessed to have and, and to have experienced was, um, for example, like at, at that point or at that time, I was working security at a, at a middle school in Aurora. Um, it was uh, Thunder Ridge Middle School was where I, I worked security for a few years and I uh, absolutely loved it there. And when I came out, I mean, that, that entire school, every staff member, every teacher, every janitor, it, it didn't, they were all so supportive. They celebrated. We, we just, I don't know, like I just, I felt like in that moment was really the, the learning of who, who's your family? Who, who's your, you know, who really is your family? Who's your tribe? And that, that lesson of family's not always blood. You know, you always love your, your blood fam, family, but there's a lot of amazing opportunities in life to teach you that family is not always blood. And it was so, so tremendously awesome just to be in this atmosphere where everyone was so supportive and celebratory about me making this decision and deciding to, to move forward with it, that I was like, man, I just, I, it made me think about all the other trans people out there that are, you know, fear for their life to come out, um, fear for their job, you know, I, I, all these things. And I'm like, wow, you know, I may have a really difficult time with my, my own family and some of that, um, the culture and, and people I was close with in Utah, but I've found myself in a place where this, this couldn't be any more perfect. Like I, I'm, I, I have a great support system. Um, I'm safe and I can actually just enjoy it. I can be happy. I don't have to sneak around. I don't have to walk on eggshells. I can just be open and celebrate it and have that support system that I never had. So, um, and I wish I could tell more people about that. Cause like I said, I know a lot of people, their hearts kind of break for me, but um, if there was any way I could tell them like, I'm okay. And I promise that's the truth, <laughs> mm -hmm. but really that, that played such a huge part into me coming out. Like that was, that's really what I um, remember when I, when I think about my coming out was actually announcing it to my friends and coworkers at the school, as well as like my wife and other close friends in, in Colorado. And uh, it was a really positive time, fortunately, in that, in that side of things, so. <laughs> You're bringing tears to my eyes. Um, there's so many things are going on inside of me right now. <laughs> One of them is to be able to love unconditionally even someone that religious folks might call your enemy. You have to have this incredible confidence, not only in who you are and your identity, which is amazing and imperative, but also in your inherent value. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... Uh... Well, I think a lot of it too, for me, as I've kind of gone through this journey, uh, a, a very spiritual journey, to be honest. Um, and so much, so much of that foundation within the journey has been learning what is unconditional love and what is it really? Because 
I, I think for us humans, uh, for a lot of the, the conditionings and the perceptions that we have placed on our filters of, of reality and of life, um, it makes unconditional love actually really difficult. Um, but one of the things I think has tied into it that makes it a little easier for me at this point is understanding that uh, we, we, we certainly project. And when I can look back at like my family and really kind of sit back and more objectively hear what, you know, obviously it's in retrospect now, but hear what they say, try to feel what they feel. And it's, you know, it's because it's coming from this place within themselves. And it really is that lesson of has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. It's their perception and it's a projection of what is going on inside of them. And so I think if we all had a way to apply that, you know, it, it it's kind of like, you have to learn it, you have to practice it. You know, it's not a, a flip of the switch that we can really understand and apply that. but. Once you get to that point, understanding, it's like how I felt so ready even to do the Titan Games because I knew even though I was going to receive a lot of support, I know that there's people out there that are going to be negative and um, very uh, hateful or condemning. And I was like, you know, maybe back then I would not know how to handle it because I took everything so personally, like I know a lot of people do. When somebody's saying something to you that's really nasty and negative, you internalize it and you identify with it. And I'm so glad through everything that I've gone through and what I've learned to not identify what somebody else is saying to you because it's a projection of them. It has nothing to do with me. And so it allows me to put that back. Like, it's not me. And I know it comes from actually probably a really painful place inside of them. And that actually gives me more compassion. It allows me to be more empathetic and compassionate that, you know what, like you probably heard the, the quote, it's like hurt people hurt people. It's not right to call me those things. It's not right to say those things to me or, or think that way about me. Um, but I can feel compassion towards you for what you may be internalizing mm -hmm. and, and then are projecting at me through everything I've been through that has played such a huge part in everything turning around and becoming such a, a positive place to be. Mm -hmm. So you, the, the language that you use is just so rich and so beautiful. And even the way that you refer to some of your accolades and some of the things that you've accomplished, it feels like you're just so proud of your entire life, not just the parts where you're comfortable. And I wonder if that confidence is just almost more of like a self-love. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that's a huge part of it because again, that was something I didn't have before. And I, I, I like that you bring that up because that's also something else, even for trans people specifically that I wish I could help instill as well, because, um, I see a lot, it's a similar pattern across a lot of trans people who decide to transition where it's leave the past behind. Don't think about it again. Don't have to, you know, and I was so in that place when I first started transitioning that I literally started to go through and delete. I deleted like all pictures, like old pictures, um, 
was like, I don't want to hear the name Michelle again. I don't want to see old pictures of me. I don't even want to think about it because I'm thinking like, oh, I don't have to anymore. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's this great, wonderful thing. And it, 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 <laughs> it certainly came back around and I realized how much I was going to regret that because I've kind of along this journey, that's, that's another thing I've learned too, is like, man, if it wasn't for Michelle, if it wasn't for who I was, I never would have made it here. I never would have realized who Mitch is. And it, in moments like that, where I started to, to really absorb that, like, wow, that's actually make, makes me really sad that I ever thought I wanted to erase that and never think about her again, to just delete her part of life, to only just exist as Mitch and just kind of forget about what happened before Mitch. I was like, that's really sad because man, Michelle had to be pretty damn tough <laughs> to, to make it through all of that. She went through so much and to try and erase that it's like that that's not right and i know so many trans people who decide to transition feel that way and i don't blame them i i don't like obviously i know i know that feeling and i resonate with it and i don't think it's wrong to feel that but i wish so much that we could all just embrace who we were and understand that who we were plays into who we are if I am trying to erase Michelle, I'm I'm erasing Mitch at the same time. They're one and the same. They're they're just different aspects of one person. And so, um, and I started to realize that like if I'm erasing Michelle, I'm erasing a big part of Mitch, and I can't I can't do that because I want Mitch to be whole and to be fully realized and to be proud of every part of who he is. Michelle's a big part of that. Hmm. You know, looking at my senior picture at Stanford on national television and knowing that everyone is seeing that picture and hearing my old name. And it's like, man, I know that one, pro, like at least beginning of transition, I never could have done that. There was no way I could have handled that. And then two, knowing that there's a lot of people who, who know what that feels like. And I've had a lot of people actually message me like, man, like, what was it like to have to look at these? Was it hard to look at old pictures? Was it hard to talk about that? Was it hard to say your name? And I'm like, you know what? It, it, a few years ago, yeah. <laughs> there was mm -hmm. No way I could have done it. No way. And, but, well, but I'm so glad to be in a space where I can, because I think, I think we all could be there and it doesn't have to necessarily be a trans person. It's, you know, there's a lot of people that look back on, prior versions of themselves and and struggle to accept that that's who they used to be and it's like we all should celebrate who we were and who we are we we're we're not who we are without who we were <laughs> and so uh and i'm so appreciative of that because i just i because it, it, it did it, it for a time it made me really sad thinking how i wanted to de delete and erase michelle and it's like man you know what <laughs> she's she's a badass <laughs> hopefully i can say that but she she's a badass she went through so much and i really can't picture a much tougher person inside and out to have made it through what she went through and then 
got to see Mitch come to life and to be as happy as he is now, it means everything. It means everything. <laughs> yeah, I was watching some, I mean, just again, what I could find on YouTube and in other places, but on this one particular news show, they were saying that you were at one point the only female on an all-boys team. And just thinking of now knowing you as Mitch and and just kind of the way that you just live so peacefully in your body, I can't imagine what circumstances like that felt like. And then to come out in a religious family on such a public platform, I mean, Michelle did go through a lot. She really did. She really did. And that's why, I mean, I play such a huge part in, in the gratitude I feel now for the gratitude, the feeling that I can accept her and I can appreciate her and I can love her unconditionally. Uh, because yeah, she, there was so much going on within, like in the internal and the external world that she was living in was so much. But, um, you know, I see now that really if anyone was gonna take that, take all of that on, it was her. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely her and mm -hmm. so, why not be like, why, why not celebrate that? Why not mm -hmm. be like, yeah, she was awesome. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be Mitch. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, don't, don't erase that. Be, be proud of that. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. I wanted to take a moment to let you know about a unique opportunity Queer Relationships is offering. Over the past 10 years, I've sat with people and couples and walked them through some pretty difficult times. We all want thriving lives, but creating the love lives and relationships we crave is a journey and Queer Relationships wants to help you on that journey. We're accepting inquiries from those who want to come on the show and sit with the therapist and gain some insight into their struggles. Whether that's helping you find peace with your identity, ways to emotionally handle an unsupportive or critical family, help getting past roadblocks in your sexual relationships, or maybe ways to save your relationship that you fear is headed for disaster. We're here to help. For more information about how to become a guest, visit www.iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. That's iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the show. When I was uh, in my, gosh, my late 20s, I had just come out of grad school. I wasn't quite yet publicly out fully. And I went to this um, weekend camp for men. And it was one of the most transformative weekends I've ever spent. We were doing psychodrama. It's kind of where you live out like a challenge and a therapist is there and they help you kind of overcome this challenge. And the challenge I wanted to work on was not feeling as though I belonged in a group of other men. And so the psychodrama that they set up is they gave me this like man who was six four and this like this rope and we had to play tug of war. And I was like, are you kidding? And this battle, this, the symbolism here was that I was reclaiming my place and, and my version of masculinity, not necessarily a cisgender or a heteronormative version of masculinity. And so we're going around this huge gymnasium. I'm trying to yank this. I'm like 5'8", trying to yank this rope out of this guy who's 6'4". And he's huge. <laughs> and I'm never going to win. But on my face, I just I remember the determination that I was going to reclaim my space. And 
the therapist finally tapped the guy on the shoulder and he dropped the rope and I yanked it out of his hands. And then this group of 15 men hoisted me up on their shoulders and they're screaming like just this incredible celebration and they're running me around the gym saying, welcome, you're so welcome, like we're glad you made it. And when I was watching um, you on the Titans and seeing you in that tug of war, just pulling and pulling and pulling and I mean, just your huge muscles and you're giving this thing everything you got. And I can imagine that if it's fair of me to say that Michelle gave you that fight. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, the, I think she really exemplifies resilience and that obviously bolstered a lot of that emotional strength, that emotional, mental, and spiritual strength that I have now. Mm-hmm. Um, just to even, because obviously I think what, what people were even seeing beyond just the show and the competitions, because, you know, I, I could go all the day long about why I think I lost just just logistically and, and technically and all that, because you know, so there's so much that played into it and I'm a competitor. I'll, I'll always be a competitor and that athlete in me will always want to uh, come out on top. And I still, you know, I hate the fact that I lost just as a competitor, but sure. I, it was still um, amazing that not even just me, but so many people that watched could see that I was fighting for something so much more and that it was it, you know, it's kind of almost like that, that metaphysical, that what you can't see, but it, you know, is there was very present in those moments. Um, and just, it, it meant a lot that even though I lost, um, that people, I, you know, I feel like it's a similar feeling, like people have really been lifting me up on their shoulders and just celebrating me for reclaiming that space, reclaiming Mitch and just, even going up there and giving a fight and saying like, well, everything, you know, I've gone through a lot just to get here. <laughs> and so it, it has a very similar feeling to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a great story and I appreciate you sharing. And it, it but has felt very much like that, just mm-hmm. being lifted up on everyone's shoulders and just getting to celebrate it regardless of the competitive loss <laughs> sure because <laughs> uh, other uh, otherwise obviously it's been a, a big win so mm. absolutely. absolutely i saw you in the post kind of show or at least what looks like the post show and you're just you talk about we the trans community and that we're serious competitors and it was just it was a for me a moment that i will never forget watching that it was it was well, thank so you cool. i appreciate that and it was it was definitely all very um very sincere because everything's happening so quick and you know i'm i'm certainly one that speaks from the heart but i i thought well I, in that moment for sure i i it was i hate losing i hate losing <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> so much i wish i could go back and but that's that's what's tough about it and it's you know it's tv tv is very different than having a basketball game and going out on the, on the court and playing a basketball game, it's still very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that moment, I thought it, it was very heavy on my mind thinking I may have lost, but maybe this would be, this will be the door opener for maybe next season. That would be great. How cool would that be if maybe I 
turn on next season and they've brought in another trans athlete and they're coming in and just killing it and and to think well maybe i had a part in making that possible it will really help uh help me accept the losses (laughs) (laughs) i hate (laughs) i hate losing as just as much as you and i totally get it (laughs) yeah i totally agree yeah. Um, yeah. One last question. If there was um, a trans kiddo listening to you, 12, 15, 16 years old, and they were really hungry for resources, so do you have any in mind, anything that you'd pass their way? Um, it's hard to, I mean, that's a, tough to say because obviously, um, you know, you don't necessarily know exactly what resources are available to everyone out there, where they are, what kind of circumstances. And it certainly makes it hard when there are young, young people out there who are perhaps in a very similar situation as I was, maybe even a more volatile, toxic situation. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when, you know, you might have a 13-year-old kid who's still under the the supervision of their parents, and you're not really going to say, well, just go out and be rebellious against your parents and don't do what they tell you to do like that's it's a very hard space to be but um i i think knowing that you can't necessarily direct everyone to the appropriate resources not knowing what's available not knowing all the circumstances that surrounds them um i kind of reflect on my like my experience where i just really learned how to rely on myself um, and it may not sound all that promising to somebody that is kind of like yearning, yearning for something to talk to, somebody to support them, somebody to rely on. Because um, I know that feeling so well. Like, I, I think if anyone knows what it feels like to be alone and feel like there, you have nowhere to turn, no one to talk to, and, and you're just kind of at a loss, I know that feeling very, very well. So you know so for one to say you know i'm not i'm not saying it from an ignorant space i know what that feels like i know what it feels like to be alone and not know where to turn to but at the same time that taught me so much how important it is to know that you will always have you you will always be your biggest support you will always be your biggest cheerleader you will always have you at the end of the day people come and go you know it's it's honestly quite rare for us to to find people in our lives that stick around forever it just you know you you might find that in a spouse but obviously that's not a guarantee you might find that in family but obviously that's not a, a guarantee because no matter where life takes you no matter who comes and goes you will never feel like the the floor is crumbling beneath you because it won't because you always will have you and you will never be without you. So if somebody can really embrace that and, and hold true to that, they will realize just how much strength they'll find in, in that place, in that space of being, just being themselves and, and realizing that it is so much more powerful to, to know that and, and to realize that than it is to have a whole community of people behind you, to have all the resources and all the support in the world really does not compare to when you when you truly know that you will always have you. 
I'm just going to leave it there. That feels like a good mic drop. I'm just going <laughs> to. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Life in the spotlight and the pressure to become the facade of a larger group. What a pressure. A representative for larger community and the role that requires puts a lot of pressure on us to nail down the perfect persona. Is life in the limelight really exposing our authenticity or our facades? And why do we build these facades? Well, in my opinion, we create them to belong. I can imagine Michelle, the part of Mitch who stepped into the limelight, accepting the award for all of his hard and continuous efforts. Of course, Mitch knew something about his authenticity, even if people called him Michelle. Many of us can recall moments like these in our lives, moments where we recognize the role we are expected to play and our eagerness to stay in costume. Like Mitch, we can become the face of a community or the face of the good child who lives life either in the wrong clothing or in the closet, just to keep our sense of belonging intact. But in fact, when we have to pretend to create quote-unquote safety, it really isn't true belonging. You see, when others are pleased with our costumes and our performances, they will be easily angered when we start to play the different role, the roles that accurately resemble our authenticity. And as we begin to recognize that we can't tolerate the itchy costumes any longer, we start to daydream about true belonging. We might ask questions like, who am I beyond athlete or beyond the LDS poster child? This is where the sacred unraveling begins to take place. I experience the sacred unraveling as a stripping, maybe more like a crumbling of all the pillars of false safety and false stability I had placed to prop up my sense of security. And as we are stripped of our temporal comforts, our fake belongings, and our shallow roots, suffering and sorrow are our guides. Suffering and sorrow guide us through the stripping. They take us through the dark seasons, the empty weekends, and the long-filled moments where we fear loneliness will devour our lives. But as we watch the crumbling of all the falsehoods in which we believe, we begin to see a new truth, one that is ultimately fulfilling, this time from the inside out. No longer relying on our costumes and parades, we begin to see genuine acceptance in others, those who see and cherish our undecorated selves. And when we finally have this moment of eureka, we turn to thank suffering and sorrow because they actually led us to life. I say, to unhealthy people, healthy boundaries will seem unhealthy. This is another gift of the sacred unraveling, that painful stripping. We leave behind the willingness to remain exposed to the harm inflicted by others' boundarylessness. Love teaches us what we are worth and what we truly deserve. Unconditional love teaches us how to embrace the knowing that we are already enough. Unconditional love also gives us the compassion that refines our ability to not only lovingly hold appropriate boundaries, but also healthy boundaries insulate our self-esteem from others' immature opinions. Healthy boundaries give us compassion, and compassion allows us to love those that hurt us but this time from behind a protective relational barrier. From here, we are able to embrace our total self, the unwanted parts of our past that built the foundation for our present and the present iteration who is right here, right now. 
Integration is the ability to transcend the outdated and include what we learned. Today's guest said it best, without Michelle, Mitch couldn't be. What a powerful statement of self-acceptance, but most importantly, what I heard in Mitch's voice was a deep and tender tone of self-love. What a true testament to the ability to transcend and include. When we undo the shame of what we did, who we were, and how we looked on paper, we acknowledge that we needed the shitty rough draft. That cursory version of who we were gave life to becoming. Shame, on the other hand, is debilitating because it keeps us focused on what role we should play, always hoping to gain access to a larger stage with better costumes. As we deconstruct the shame that stabilizes our lives, we also deconstruct narratives and the roles that block our true self from maturing. In my own version, I was that son, the son who drank like a fish and crashed his car on a drunken early return from a gay bar. I was that lost Latinx kid who failed out of college, and he had the courage to bring me here. I stand on his shoulders. I benefit from his toil and his fight, and I love now because he was willing to be loved. I felt my core shift when Mitch said, if anyone can take all the pain, it was her. What if, just what if, the closet is our training facility? What if in the closet, the place where we wrestle with the pain, inequality, invisibility, and conditional love is also the place where we cultivate the strength to go beyond typical limits, to empathize with deeper pains, and reach higher levels of compassion, gratitude, and loving others no matter their conditions? What if our closet itself was the only self who could tolerate the pain of the sacred unraveling? Now that part of me and that part of you is worth embracing and the part of which we should be most proud. As a counselor, I get to be on that journey. The lives literally change of my clients right before my eyes. And in today's episode, we listen to how Mitch did this in an astounding way. I believe iron sharpens iron. Sometimes I am the hammer to shape another into their best form, and other times I'm the sword being hammered and refined. Today, I want to express my deep and sincere gratitude for Mitch for being my hammer, giving me an even sharper edge to pierce through the shame and fear that commonly plagues us all. If you know of an LGBTQ plus someone who needs to hear Mitch's story or any other story found here, please share these episodes. Leave us a review, give us a like, and subscribe. The more we unite, the farther help for the LGBTQ plus community can spread. I hope you enjoyed Mitch and his enlightened love. It was so profound and stabilizing for me. After speaking with Mitch, I am just so proud to be part of the LGBTQ community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And until next time. Queer Relation Tips is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic. Create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic. Thank you.